Wait, an oral history of Donald Trump's love of Van Damme's blood sport. Wait, 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 what? We hadn't been airborne long when Trump decided to watch a movie. He'd brought along Michael, a recent release, but 20 minutes after popping it into the VCR, he got bored and switched it to his old favorite, a Jean-Claude Van Damme slugfest called Bloodsport, which he pronounced as an incredible, fantastic movie. By assigning to his son, Eric, the task of fast-forwarding through the plot exposition, Trump's goal being <laughs> to, get, to get this two-hour movie down to 45 minutes. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Rain Man. So I can't really tell you when the first time I watched this movie was because it was so long ago. I, I can okay, so I remember watch like seeing this movie coming on um like the really high channels, like the movie channels, whenever like Bright House was a thing. And I just sat down and watched it one day. And uh I remember liking it, but like I wasn't really at the age of like truly appreciating it. But then um last time I saw this movie before uh for the review was actually just like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago. So this movie was like still pretty fresh in my head. But I like, I mean, I like, I, I think, I don't know, this movie, I know how you feel about 80s movies, but I feel like this movie does really well in like aging. How, how did, how do you feel about that? Do you like, did you like this film? Um, I, yeah, no, I definitely liked it. I think to start off, we should say that um, the reason we chose this and the, the next three episodes after this are going to be best picture winners leading up to the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched this w- one, like obviously I know about this movie um, and I did enjoy it. But when I, when I was going through my first watch, I was just like shocked that this one best picture and it kind of, it, it, it was what, made me comment to you that like were were 80s movies not as good and then i looked at the other contenders and they're they're movies i had you know heard of the accused with jodie foster mississippi burning with gene hackman and a couple others um but it just like the idea that this that this one was a little shocking to me i watched it again i really i enjoyed it the second time a little bit more and i enjoyed it overall um but this movie has such an 80s feel to me um it reminds me similar uh similar to uh dead poet society which i think is like very late 80s maybe like first year of the 90s um, it was also an oscar nominated movie right which i've <laughs> said my feelings about that but it, it i think <clears throat> for whatever reason and I, I was looking back at best picture uh nominees for the 80s um and in the beginning of the 80s there's like some very like high quality stuff, but mid to late eighties, it, it, it does feel like it's a little less. And I I mean, for example, I love ET, but finding out that that's an Oscar, like a best picture Oscar nominated movie was shocking to me because, and like, cause I just think of it as this like really enjoyable, like science fiction movie. That's not the type of movie I feel like gets nominated in the last 20 25 years okay um it just and i and i don't know why i feel that way i think it's just the the feel of these movies um but having said all that i don't want to take away from the fact that i did really enjoy the movie i um i was reading some of the reviews and one of them was saying how they felt like dustin hoffman never really got into the character and it was just like you could see him playing the character i was like well that Actually, as I was watching it, I kind of got lost in his performance of like that, you know, that wasn't Dustin Hoffman, who we've seen from like Meyerowitz stories. That's like, <laughs> that's a, you know, uh, an autistic savant who like, who has these mannerisms. Like it just, he, it felt like he did a really great job of it. Um, and overall, I think Tom Cruise did well. I think the the story is very simplistic, but it's it's very like, entertaining and this is like a two hour 15 minute movie and it felt like it flowed pretty well 
And this didn't just win Best Picture. This won like three other awards along with it and was nominated in like eight different categories. Um, but I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like, it's really simple. And if you like compare it to the movies that are winning Best Picture now, um, you kind of see a tier of like, okay, without a doubt, without a question, of course it won. And then it's like, uh, like for me, when I think of that for like a, a past winner that recently happened, I think of comparing it to like, okay. So for example, the shape of water, when I first right. saw that, I was like, of course this is going to win. And then it won. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense. It's amazing. It, it's like, it's everything that I could want in a best picture winner. But, but for, for a, a recent winner, uh, I kind of think of the green book as something that could be controversial in winning thinking about, Oh, did it just win because of the political stance, like of this day and age, like what it's trying to say, or did it actually deserve to win because it's such a monumentous, you know, chain, like life changing film. Um, I think well, that, I mean, green that book could... had a, sorry, but green book had a little bit of the, um, we were talking about uh, the untouchables, how the, it was viewed as like a, you know, a, a kind of a sort of racist trope type of movie. Um, I think Green Book and still like Crash is another example of a movie that won Best Picture and people think is not very good. I've never seen Crash. I have. I mean, 16-year-old David was very affected by it, so I don't know how <laughs> I would feel now. Um, it, it worked on me as a teen. <laughs> I, um, but I think... What, what I'm trying to get at is like E.T. and Rain Man. Those are like popular movies that like kind of work across the spectrum of, of people from like hardcore like Oscar viewers to people who love like Marvel movies. And I think the fact that those type of movies were nominated in the 80s, those type of movies aren't nominated now. I guess that's kind of my point. Right. Yeah. And about like not what would like something that wouldn't fly nowadays and you actually mentioned this to me um when we were first talking about this film but the character that tom cruise plays i don't think you could you were saying that he probably couldn't get away with playing a type of character like this nowadays um you know i i, I think that a little bit he is such an asshole for the first 99% of the film? Well, I think the turning point <laughs> the turning point is the hotel room where he realizes uh, Dustin Hoffman is the Rain Man. Um, that's sort of when he changes. But he's even kind of an asshole after that. No, he totally is. But I like it when you that, say he finds out he's the Rain Man. Like, this is some sort of superhero flick. Yeah, it's like... Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Before that, though, he's like an irredeemable asshole. And the whole first time I'm watching it, I was like, how do they bring him back? Like, how well, how could they possibly make you, like, even remotely, like, think he's a good guy after this? So I really like the characters that uh, Tom Cruise, uh, his name's Charlie in the film, so I was just going to call him Charlie. But uh, he's a real jackass to, like, a lot of people a lot of like really close people in his life. And when it's not uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, Ray, it's uh, his girlfriend, Susanna. And I love the subtlety of like, they're clearly in love. Like he clearly has feelings for her, but his like sheer, like pretentious narcissistic attitude is so like blatantly bothering her. Um, and she like plays it off real cool, but like it's still like so what like cringe inducing, I feel like. It's I don't know. What did you think about her character? Because I really like her character. I do too. Uh she, it's funny, she's the girl, she's in the hot shots movies. Oh, which okay. I think is pretty funny. Um what, what one instance, I, th I think they're trying to paint Tom Cruise as just an overall asshole. You know, they don't want to paint him as someone who's like Big Only an asshole toward, to his autistic brother? Yeah, to mentally challenged people. So <laughs> he's an asshole to Lenny who works with him. Um, he's an asshole to his girlfriend. 
he was an asshole to his father, but I, um, I'm totally team Tom Cruise on that one. Um, yep. But I, well, one perfect example is when he's uh, ordering pizza and he says, oh, I'm going to order a pepperoni pizza. And she's like, no pepperoni for me. And he goes, all right, one large pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Just because he's just like, he's at the point where he like, he takes her for granted. He, yeah. he just doesn't really seem to, to care about what she thinks. He's kind of, she's always going to be there. The um, the big one for me, the one where I feel like really um, is a great example how he's an asshole to her is during the funeral, how he makes her wait in the car. Right. Yeah. And he keeps doing that, like makes her wait in the car. And then when he's going to do the trust thing, and then when uh, he's going to actually like kind of kidnap uh, Ray, uh, telling her to go wait outside the gate as like the getaway driver, basically. Right. But I mean, if you remember, remember when she's, um, he comes in from the funeral, he comes into the car and he's like, I got to meet with the trust lawyer or whatever. And she even, she's like, oh yeah, I'll just wait in the car. Like she knows he's going to tell her to wait in the car and she's trying to even be like ahead of the game on that. Right. No. Yeah. And I think that's part of his development that we'll get to throughout the movie of not, he, he becomes less of an asshole to everyone. Um, and it's, it's kind of subtle. And so I think I picked up more of it on the second watch, but I think I was just so taken aback in the initial viewing of just how much of an asshole he is. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the opening song? Cause I, I really liked it, but I also was like, this doesn't fit the rest of the movie. No, it doesn't. But I really like the imagery that it comes with, like the floating cars, like with the crane, like over the, the, right the crates i don't know i it's 80s it's i mean whenever you see a hear a song and it doesn't fit in the rest of the movie i just chalk it up to it being the 80s right did but the music know, was by han zimmer did you know that yeah it's his first movie and do you know what other movie he used that song in no it's the opening to your favorite mission impossible movie <gasps> two yes <laughs> when, he's, when he's climbing the uh the rocks in utah I just thought that was one is pretty cool that it's Hans Zimmer's first movie, but then two that he's just like, you know what? Maybe that song did or didn't work in Rain Man, but I know a perfect spot for it. Tom's gonna love it. So yeah, it's just, it's all about pleasing Tom Cruise in, in this case. Um so here maybe as many times I've as I've watched this movie, maybe you can explain to me, because one of the biggest plot points in this film is when Charlie learns that his dad has died. His dad's passed away. And so he goes to the funeral. He goes to the trust. What is it? Like a, a will hearing? Something like that? Yeah, it's the, the lawyers just reading him the will because he's one of the, uh, mm-hmm. one of the recipients under it. And so maybe you can uh, explain to me the controversy they had with the 1949 Buick. Um, because it, it's basically well, it's basically it's a it's a car that they fought over, and basically is the catalyst for their ruined relationship. Right, which is also funny too, because, um, you know, you start out with Tom Cruise like trying to sell these cars, and I guess he has a, a his own little small like dealership where he imports cars that he's like lined up buyers for, and he's dealing with it. Seems like the worst job ever, especially for like Lenny. Like I, I can't imagine Lenny is any good at his job because why would he work for Tom Cruise in this situation? Right. Um, I also like hated that part of the story and I'm like glad it was like a small part. The but, fact that they're like Lamborghini dealers. Right. Okay. But I, but I think it's also kind of interesting too that he's like really into cars and he kind of like, and it's kind of leads back to like his father's love for this one car. Um, but as far as like, are you asking me to explain the, the difficulty between the father and son or the will reading? The difficulty between the father and son. Well, so it all, it, it, it all goes back to his father would never let him drive it. And so then the one time he basically kind of took the car without permission, his father called the police and reported it stolen. That's and right. Then, and had him and then arrested. Left, had him left, left him in jail for two days. And it's like, at that point, like I would have cut him off too. Like that's, really fucked up i mean 
I, I don't think I would have never talked to him again, like, like Charlie did, like Tom Cruise did, but I can definitely see like the leaving home and cutting off contacts at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I know this movie didn't really impress you to like Oscar standards, but I really like this film. Like I, there's a part in the middle of the movie and I think it is the part where he learns that his imaginary friend, Rain Man, uh, did wind up being his older brother. That, that part had me crying. I mean, that part had young teenage Alon crying and recent nine months ago Alon crying. For me, that's like, that's the emotional heart of the whole movie. And I, I could see where easily it could be like up there with other like emotionally uh, coveted films. Uh, yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, that, especially when he pulls out the picture of him holding him and then when he freaks out about the hot water, yeah. um, like all of that yeah, is, is really good. And I mean, that's obviously the turning point of the movie. Um, so no, I get why that scene affected you and normally movies I get really affected by, um, but nothing on this one, not to wow. say it was bad, but just, wow, wow, no, wow. it didn't, it didn't, uh, get to me. So he gets called for the will reading um, and he finds out that he's actually inheriting the Buick that ruined their uh, relationship, him and Charlie and his father's relationship. And then he gets like, what, a couple of rose bushes and that's it, right? Yeah, I think it's funny that um, one, his girlfriend, Susanna, notices the rose bushes need to be watered. Um, Two, how does he get in that house? Does he still have a key or because like the his father's attorney and the trustee wouldn't be letting him in. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But like, he isn't supposed to be in there. Um, Also you give him the rose bushes. So it's like, what is he supposed to, he's supposed to like have them like (laughs) unearthed or, you know, No, he's supposed to just come by and water them every like couple of days, but never go inside the house. He has to spray a hose from the street and hopefully I was going to say he has to bring his own water. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of one, it's like a fuck you from the father, but two, it also makes it like the, the legal aspects of this movie are kind of questionable, but it, it, the fact that he actually left him something makes it less likely that he could like, that Tom Cruise could go after the money. Um, the other thing is, is that for an estate that like the house, would you consider that like a pretty big house? Oh yeah, absolutely. So how the hell is the bulk of the estate only three million dollars well in 1980 so i mean that's like definitely a lot more it's also in fucking cincinnati yeah i guess you're right so like cincinnati god like who cares it's like (laughs) at least it's not cleveland but i um I also, you know, they do set up in the beginning the Rain Man thing, which eventually then makes you cry. Yeah. Um, and you get that that moment of them saying, you get it then and later, them saying the name of the movie. You get yep. your, your moment. You get your moment twice. What did you think of Dr. Bruner when we finally get to meet him? I don't know. Like kind of a ass. All right. Well, that's very elaborative. <laughs> I, I, what I liked about him and sort of Tom Cruise in the end, but Dr. Bruner is not like the bad guy. If anything, Tom Cruise is obviously the bad no, guy. No, Tom Cruise beginning. is totally the bad guy. But Dr. Bruner, you could even say it's just right. Like that this is what's best for him. I mean, you, you kind of, you can get an argument throughout the film on that because as you know, Charlie Tom Cruise says at the end, you know, in seven days, he's developed more than you, he ever did with you watching him. And that's true. Like we, as the audience can see that. Um, But at the same time, it's like Dr. Bruner is doing what he thinks is best and he's doing it somewhat out of loyalty because as the trustee, he's not getting anything out of, you know, he's keeping a patient there and presumably there's like a, you know, the expenses of, of someone staying there, but maybe even not that. So it's, it is interesting that 
the antagonist in this movie is not the bad guy. The only really bad thing you could say that the doctor does at the end is like offer that $250,000 check to, to Tom Cruise, which in retrospect, Tom Cruise should have taken. Um, But that was his turning point. Like that was the moment where we, the audience knew, Hey, he's redeemed now. Right. Because he's a narcissistic, greedy asshole. And I guess popular like movie trope is you need that one thing that he has to refuse in the end. Right. And I think there's more in the end um, for sure, but definitely the refusing the money, the thing that he's been after this entire time uh-huh. and 250,000, like a substantial sum that would have really helped. Well, him. that's what, that's what I meant by, I think Dr. Bruno is kind of an ass when, when he offers him the quarter of a mill. Um, but no, I don't think he's the bad guy per se of the film. Right. He's an antagonist towards Tom Cruise a bit. Um, but then, you know, Tom Cruise is kind of playing an anti-hero in this whole thing. Anyways, Dustin Hoffman plays, I guess you would call it, he has autism, but he plays a, uh, I have it here, a savant syndrome autistic. Right. Yeah. He's someone who can't, most like most can't survive on their own in society but they have like certain things that they excel at his being just numbers in his head, which by the way, I skip it ahead a little bit, but I have such a new appreciation for the hangover after finally <laughs> seeing this movie because like the details in the Vegas scene with Zach Galifianakis are so amazing. Like, like how, how well it mimics this movie. Um, Cause I knew that's what it was going for when I first saw the hangover, but like right. the, the detail on it down to like the suit he's wearing, I think mm-hmm. it's pretty great. Yeah. It's um, also with savant syndrome just doesn't always mean that you have the, I don't know, like the human super ability to do certain things, but I, it usually means that he has to abide by strict uh, rules and routines that he set himself through out the day with. Um, and I love how that is like a huge hindrance factor for uh, Charlie. Like that stops him uh, from doing anything. And we first encounter it when they're at the airport and he refuses to get on any flights because every airline has had some crash at some time. And Raymond has like memorized every single disaster that an airline has, has encountered. Yeah, something interesting about that is when this movie was cut for airlines to show on flights, that part of like the statistics and the dates of crashes was cut, except <laughs> by Qantas. <laughs> they left it in on their version. Oh, that's funny. Because they're the one that had no crashes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that scene is, is, pretty, is pretty good, especially because it's at the height of Tom Cruise being an asshole. I mean, he's just had the call with Dr. Bruner saying he's entitled to half, which no, he's not because he didn't have a relationship with his father and his father decided he wasn't. And so it's like, you're not entitled to it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We talked about the way he was an asshole to Susanna when, uh, when Raymond uh, Dustin Hoffman drops the lamp and he tells Susanna to go handle it. It's like, that's you're the, this is your scheme and that's your brother. Like, what the hell are you doing? we also didn't talk the first time you meet Dustin Hoffman in this is pretty great. His, his like his acting overall is great, but like him being in the car and explaining it and you figuring out that's why it's his brother. And then Dr. Bruner just creepily standing on the stairs this whole time to like explain. Um, And then, you know, him stealing, you know, kidnapping him. And then the whole first night in the hotel um, is all great stuff. I am um, not don't forget to mention the fact that even when um, we'll get into it in a second on why he was put away in a mental institution. However, um, you find out that his father, even though he gave like a huge deal about Charlie driving the car, you find out that he let Ray drive the car like a bunch, like every, on the regular every- yeah, every weekend in the driveway. Yeah, huh? Um, no, yeah, absolutely. 
I uh, and that's such a that's such a funny part. And the 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 once again, the way you find out that that they're brothers, um, is great. And this is probably the worst moment for. I think I'm now talking about the scene where they're in the diner, and their waitress is Bonnie Hunt. Yep. Which I didn't realize was Bonnie Hunt until I read it. Um, but one, this is when he basically is like, "I'm not going to bring him back unless you give me half." Two, he grabs him by the neck very forcefully. And it's just like kind of very demeaning to, to Dustin Hoffman. Um, but also in that scene, don't you think the waitress would be more freaked out about someone reading her phone number, like just saying her phone number to her? Yeah. She sort of plays that off very quickly. I mean, I agree. Although I don't know how like, because everything's in a phone book, right? So like people's numbers are pretty... Uh available which is also kind of crazy to think about how i don't know it's not like i can just like look you up in the phone book and know your cell phone number nowadays you know what i mean no right i mean there are yeah there are ways to do it but um the other thing is this movie a little bit reminded me of um the truman show in that like the truman show they kept invade inventing ways to like keep him from getting off the island and discovering that he was on a TV show. And then this movie kept like, oh, he can't fly because he's scared of flying. Oh, he sees a crash on a highway and statistically highways are very dangerous. Oh, okay, we have to take all these back roads. Oh, but now it's raining. So we have to like, we have to spend like three days in a hotel because it won't stop raining and he can't get wet. It's like inventing more and more ways to like elongate this trip so that like, you can believe it's believable that they spent, Oh, they spent seven days together instead of three hours on a plane or four hours on a plane. So it's like the, the development of their bond and like the character development for Tom Cruise, like makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that part of the film is just so well done. Like, you know, in film writing, there's a saying where your character is only as good as the um the struggle that he or she goes through and the fact that they keep putting like more and more shit in his way um especially like the um, like the little stuff like doesn't he order a pizza for him or something right he orders trying to remember but he only eats like mac and cheese i'm god damn it what is it no, he's you, in in the in the hotel. He wants in the hotel him, room, he wants to order him a hamburger, and he's like, "No, I want pizza." And he's like, "And I want tapioca tapioca pudding, <laughs> tapioca tapioca." And uh, and um, he calls in, and he's like, "Oh, well, get me the closest thing you possibly can to tapioca pudding." And then when he's in the restaurant, he's like, "That's when he gets really mad at him." He's like, "You have to eat with a fork. You don't get toothpicks." Because and this is something I didn't really pay attention to, but. Dustin Hoffman for the rest of the movie only eats with toothpicks. Right. Um, I, I didn't notice that either. Yeah. Like he's uh, eating the fish sticks with tooth. I, I also like when he gets the fish sticks in the room, he's like, I need fish sticks and green jello and an orange soda. And it's 1231. I'm supposed to eat at 1230. And he gets the fish sticks, which I don't know how, as Tom Cruise describes it as like bumfuck Missouri, how he found fish sticks and green <laughs> jello so quickly. But then he's like, oh, I'm supposed to get eight. This is only four. And Tom Cruise cuts it in half. He's like, eight pieces. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even like little things like that, right? Like there's the big ones like, oh, I can't go on a, on a uh, flight on, on, uh, on an airplane. But then just little things that just really slow him down and just irritate him. So I don't even think it's the fact that he's stopping him from getting to point A to point B. I think it's the... Because as the audience, you know, this guy is like self-absorbed and, and uh, short-circuited. So you see his patience wearing thinner and thinner and thinner. So for me, watching this, I'm just thinking, you know, when is it going to blow up? Is this going to be the, the enticing moment that he's going to like blow up at his, at his brother? Did you feel like that? Did you feel like there was going to be a moment where he just snaps um, yeah, I thought that was possible. I mean, it, it's also completely understandable how frustrated he would get with his brother because it's, 
it's a thing that he knew nothing about. He didn't know people like this existed. And he's never had a deal with anyone coming close. Right, to absolutely. Yeah. Um, Although, here's the thing about his character that is so well-developed. Because Susanna is such like a capable person, uh, such a capable character. But you can see that he thinks so much of himself that he's like on a like he he thinks of himself on a higher intelligence level than just like your average normal everyday person so putting him against someone who is very like um obviously at least that he that at that point that he thinks is way below his intelligence level is kind of like the super superiority syndrome that he that he has and I think him finding out that he has this like subsidizing ability um, to be like a human calculator almost like gains Charlie's respect for his brother in a way. Did you feel like that at that moment in the movie? Well, yeah. I mean, so they they get to this small town and he's like, oh, we got to find you a shrink. And he's like, I don't even know how you find a shrink in this small town. I like when he gets in the phone booth. And if you're paying attention, you can see Ray walking away in the reflection of the phone booth. Yeah. Um, and so they go to this doctor's office, which um, do you, you remember the old guy doing the uh, Pony Express bit, like just talking about the Pony Express and like history. Yeah. So that dude was just real. He was just talking and they just filmed it because they're like they, the director enjoyed it so much. Like that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't scripted. Um, but you get to the shrink and he's like, oh, I think I've kind of heard about this. And he like starts like doing this calculator bit where he's like making him do math. And Tom Cruise is like, oh man, you could work. He could work for NASA. And then he asks him like, all right, what's a dollar minus 50 cents. And he's like 70 cents. He's like, all right, well, there goes NASA. You know what I mean? Like it's these like kind of these rise and falls where, where he's like, he keeps doing these things and he's like, oh man, that's so amazing. Like the toothpick thing is like the first thing. And then this with the calculator. And then the jukebox, which is, is finally what it takes for him to realize like, oh, this could help solve my problems. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all those things. Like one, I guess we knew what we were going into with the movie, but you feel like Tom Cruise should have picked, on, picked up on it a little bit earlier. I think the first hint of it is him memorizing all the flight crashes, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because even uh, Vern you know, the main man, Vern, says, like, if he reads something, he knows it, you know, which is, should have told Tom Cruise something. I, I definitely think the funniest part of this movie is when they have to make it to watch Wapner at three, and they're, like, eight minutes away, and there's, they're in a farm, like, they're in a farm town, so there's, like, there's no one around but this one farm, and they got a minute left, and they go up to the door and he's like, just play cool. Just play cool and I'll get you in. And then Raymond can't, obviously, because of his, you know, his disability. And the woman closes the door. And I love Tom Cruise. Like, you fucked it up. They're making legal history in there. And you're going to miss the people's court. And then the woman, like, finally, like, letting them in. And she's like, will he settle for cartoons? And then the, the fast cut to, to the people's court on the TV and all the kids staring at it. It's so funny. Um, another thing that I just remembered is that obviously getting to point A to point B, flying would have been the fastest way. And then driving is their second option. But then remember when he sees the bad accident and then he refuses to be right. on the interstate? So that's what puts them in all those bumfuck towns is because they he refused to drive on the interstate. Um, no right so that's just like one more thing but although yes i agree with you that scene is really funny i think it it's the the vegas scene is funnier where he starts hitting on that or that woman starts hitting on him at the bar uh i didn't find that like for a single individual moment i would disagree overall i i think the vegas scene is better or, or just more enjoyable it's well also like from the from the dancing in the hotel room in vegas to the bar i think that's like a pretty funny uh well the dancing happens afterwards or fine the from the bar to the dance you know what i mean the vegas vegas is funny uh right 
And we also were pointing out real quick before we get to Vegas, because I think we're pretty close, but you're pointing out all the obstacles that get put in the way. And the fact that he has to watch Wapner at three and at six is, uh, you know, wheel of fortune and or six thirty is jeopardy or whatever. Like Tom Cruise solving that by buying the portable TV is, is such a genius move. Cause at this point it's like, I don't even know how they're moving at all with all these television shows the movie sort of skips over the other shows that he like always has to watch that he's always like interested in. Right. Um, and that's obviously, we already talked about like the, what I think is probably the most sentimental scene, um, you know, in the hotel where he finds out he was the rain man and like, you know, Dustin Hoffman freaks out and you can see like the change in Tom Cruise as he's watching Dustin Hoffman go to sleep. Um, so I, I think, think it changes in two reasons. Sorry, real quick. Um, for me, I get like when he's watching him go to sleep. Because it's his older brother, right? So they're, they're, he was put away in the mental institution because he burned um, Charlie in a, in a bath when they were younger. And at that point, it was almost, man, I swear I'm not going to tear up on you. But it was almost in a, in a way explaining a lot of things because one it's him thinking at this point, his dad probably preferred Ray to him because um, of the whole car thing and maybe the estate being passed down to him and, and not to Charlie. And then the other thing is that that's kind of like shot as soon as he knows that, right? Because they had to put away their own son to protect their other son and to like have that weight on you and for your parents to hide that from you to like almost protect you i think is like really great well and it definitely makes tom cruise realize like my father did love me right at least at some point right because he wanted to protect me from the harm that my older brother, not for any purposeful reason, but just could have, could have caused to me. Um, and so I think that also weighs on him um, in that scene. Like it's all of these emotions. And that is why it's kind of the, the catalyst for the, the change in him and the way he treats Ray and the way he looks at this situation. Um, I was very confused when when they started driving through vegas first of all i love the scene i love the music and then they go past vegas right and then you f- find out he needs the the eighty thousand to pay back the which well, i don't understand how that business wasn't already out of business because like even if you pay back the eighty thousand, it's like who's gonna you don't have any other money and who's gonna loan you money to buy more cars when you already like screwed up this deal so much but like whatever I, I well, understand. I mean, he didn't screw it up, right? Because it was just a... Uh, well, he didn't get it done. You know, he's this small outfit that promised these cars to people and he couldn't deliver. So it's like, I don't know how that's ever going to work uh, in the future. We get the jukebox scene and then that leads to him like figuring out that he could do this with cards. I just thought it was like, what if Ray just doesn't understand decks of cards? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't understand that there's supposed to be four of each and that there's, you know, ace through king or whatever. I thought uh, it's, it's just like, obviously it has to work for the movie, but it just made me laugh the idea. There are parts of the movie like that, but there are parts of the movie where I feel like it's so based in what would actually happen in real life. It almost feels like a, dis- a disruption on the way the movie unfolds. What do you mean? So like at the end, right? Um, he's given a chance to have a quarter, quarter of a million dollars. He refuses to have it. Just He's like, I don't want the money. I just want the relationship with my brother. And they go to like a court appointed psychiatrist. And you think at this point, it's like Ray, not that he's going to s- snap out of his aut- autism because that's just not how it works. But you thought you think at that moment he's gonna have enough like awareness, I guess, to be like, hey, I wanna I wanna be with Charlie. 
but then it completely just grounds you in realism where he's like you just find out that he's unable to decide for himself what he wants i i agree i uh i think that's kind of one of the biggest moments is when uh you realize that uh first of all that's the director who's playing the the court appointed shrink uh oh. in that scene because the person who's supposed to do it like couldn't make it that day and they just shot it that way um i think it obviously sets up the fact that uh tom cruise doesn't like the way ray is reacting to the questions as far as he knows it's like hurting ray to have to like deal with this and it's not you know it's affecting his routine and so that's like even bigger than not accepting the 250,000 the fact that he's willing to uh to like give up on keeping his brother because he knows like hey this is what's best for him right and that's why i think it kind of paints in the end the fact that everyone agrees that dr bruner was probably right although it's like it's going to be some medium of that right like yeah tom cruise is going to go back somewhat often you know to see his brother now um two cool things from this movie is one uh the original character was supposed to just be mentally challenged and uh dustin hoffman was the one that pushed for him to be like a an autistic savant with like these kind of like this special like skill where he could you know with numbers um which that other movie i just don't think would be like obviously that was a great decision and then two apparently dustin hoffman had the uh, like really pushed for the ending to be that he went back to Walbrook instead of saying with Cruz because he's like that ending it doesn't make sense for me to stay with Tom Cruise it makes so much more sense right for the character the character needs to go back and I think like both of those two decisions are huge for like the plot of the movie making sense and for the movie being like as popular as it is so um, real quick, because I, I laughed earlier when I heard that the director was the one who was the court-appointed court psychiatrist, because I recently saw a compilation on YouTube on how many um, cameos directors of movies have done, but they've all been cameos of them playing doctors. <laughs> and it's like 20 to 30 movies where the director of the film has... Uh, has played a cameo in that film, but they're all doctors. And it's something about like how di all directors have like a God complex. So they put them in p positioning themselves in roles that are like life-saving to the main characters. And I just thought that that was like just an extra one that I've never heard of. The, the, you know, the smartest person in the room. Yeah, exactly. So um, I actually have a couple of interesting facts about the movie, but I know this is like your domain. So I'm I'm interested to hear what you like what you found out about this film because what I recently found out is quite like unbelievable actually so I'm I'm curious to see what what kind of uh, what things you found out. Well, before we get to that, oh, okay, you moved a little bit fast. Yeah, I had some some questions about this. Um, one, I really wish they had explained why the casino was like giving tom cruise this ultimatum to leave because it's like they're like oh we videotaped it it's like but you like all the people that were talking in the background about it were like well we don't see him cheating there's no computer it's it's impossible to do this with a six deck uh blackjack game and so like the fact that they're like no you just need to leave town because also it was eighty thousand dollars which even today is like what one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and it's like Wait, what do you, he, no, he was missing, he needed 80,000 no, and he made 86,000. Right, well, that's fine, 86, whatever. Like, that's still not a ton of money for a Vegas casino. One, to get so upset with that they're like, mm -hmm. get the fuck out of Las Vegas. Like, <laughs> this is the best, like, we're going to kill you if you don't leave. But then two, why did they then give him the suite like of the nicest suite in the hotel? But I mean, yeah, you're right. If they were honestly worried that he was cheating, but then why didn't, why was he allowed to keep the money? And also I think you've been watching way too much ocean movies for you to be like, Hey, if it's not a hundred million dollars, then it should just really be uh, let go. I mean, 80 K to a Vegas casino. I just don't think 
they're getting that mad about it. So do you think they kept it in that same vault that shared with the Mirage and the... <laughs> I don't even know what casino this was supposed to be. Just some um, some uh, small casino like in Swingers or something like that. Uh, and last thing, um, before we get to it, I do think there are a couple of like good moments towards the end. I love when the doctor is asking uh, Dustin Hoffman what he wants to do. He's like, do you want to stay with your brother? He's like, yeah. You want to stay with your brother? Yeah. He's like, okay. Let me ask you another question. Do you want to go back to Walbrook? Yeah. And you like Cruz's face, like the switch of like, ah, fuck. Yeah. No, like I he's exactly. Um, but then also the Dr. Brenner, like, Hey, wouldn't you be more comfortable in Kmart? And he's like, Kmart sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a great ending to the movie. He's not wrong. Are there even Kmarts at all ever? Like, are they gone? I think they're gone. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think they are. Um, I think they're all, they were all put out of business a couple of years back. I mean, I definitely haven't been to one in forever. I haven't seen a Kmart. First of all, I haven't seen a Kmart in like five years. And I haven't been in a Kmart at all any time in my life. So I, I assume they're more like a Target or a Walmart base. But I'm pretty sure Target bought, bought them out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, he was sucked. Wrong. They sucked they st- back in 1980. Uh, I didn't get any better. So, um, yeah, ab- about fun facts. I have one. I'm sure you have this one. Um, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So go, go ahead. Tell, tell me what you found out no, about you this Just film. do yours first. You seem way ex- more excited about yours. Okay, so did you know that Dustin Hoffman was actually supposed to be playing the Tom Cruise character? Yeah. Do you know that was... Then- and that Bill Murray was supposed to be playing the Dustin Hoffman character. That's such a bad, like, that's a funny movie. That's not a, this movie. That movie is so different. Like, and that's not even saying Bill Murray. Yeah. I don't know. I can't even see it. Like I can't remotely see it. Um, I have a couple more, but, but I'll be, I'll be nice. So you tell me what, what you found out. Well, the, the main thing I want to talk about is that, um, Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise both thought this was going to be a horrible movie as they're filming it. And they kept calling it like they kept calling the movie two schmucks in a car. <laughs> they just, and Dustin Hoffman was thought his, like three weeks into it, thought his performance was so like bad that he begged the director to let him out of it. Cause oh he's just God. like, didn't think, and it's what he won an Oscar for it. Yeah. Um, so those, those are definitely my two favorite facts from this. My other one is that um, Martin Brest, Steven Spielberg, and Sidney Pollack were directors involved in this film. Pollack. Pollack. Yeah, and then Steven Spielberg also considered doing it and like wrote a bunch of notes for it. And then I think passed them along to uh, Barry Levinson is what I was reading. Um, Maybe you also know this uh, answer to this question, but apparently Mickey Rourke was also offered a role in this movie but I don't know what role he was offered. Yeah, maybe, maybe the uh, Mickey Rourke would have been perfect for the asshole in the truck who says, well, if you're not going to move, I'll make you move. That seems like a good role. Could you imagine, could you imagine Mickey Rourke playing uh, Lenny? I thought you were going to say Raymond. <laughs> no, but listen. The 80s would totally do that kind of shit, though. They would totally put Mickey Rourke in the Raymond role. Um, I could definitely see that. But could Yeah, 100%. But could you, um, could you see him as Lenny? I could totally see him also as Lenny. Yeah, but why would he do Lenny? Why, like, Mickey Rourke was huge in the 80s. Why would he have done Lenny? He, he was, Wasn't he huge in the 80s? I don't know. I was barely alive. <laughs> I know at one point in time, Mickey Rourke was a big deal. And then he came back with The Wrestler, which I love The Wrestler. Um, but yeah, I was too young to really appreciate Mickey Rourke back at the time. Um, the other th- last thing uh, I, didn't, I wanted to point out, um, one, I've been purposely saying definitely a lot. I don't know if you picked up on that. No, not but at all. Two, did you, I wish I had done it more than I did. Um, two, did you notice the scene where the lawyer is talking with Tom Cruise about what he's inheriting and he's like, well, I know you're mad. And Tom Cruise is like, I definitely got the rose bushes, right? Definitely, definitely got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes, right? 
is totally like not foreshadowing, but just like kind of a cool moment of like, this is how Raymond Dustin Hoffman's going to talk throughout the movie. It's like, if you do a Dustin Hoffman Rain Man impression, you're going to say definitely. Right. Yeah, I'm 100%. sorry. I didn't, I... Like you, you definitely are going to. And so like the fact that they have that little bit of Tom Cruise in there, like right before you get to meet Dustin Hoffman's character, I think it's pretty cool. Um, another, another fact that I actually found funny is we were talking earlier. And when I say earlier, I mean like months ago. Um, you and I were talking about how the, the writer's strike back, like, I don't know when it was, like 2014, 2013, affected a lot of movies like uh, Transformer movies and James Bond movies. Right. Um, but did you know that this movie was written in the uh, 1988 writer's strike? Uh, well, yeah, one thing I, I think the one thing I saw was that, like, the final rewrites of the movie... Um, were like turned in the day the writer's strike started, like some handwritten notes to like change part of the movie. It was so from what I read, it was just the last scene. The last scene of the movie was written hours before the 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 strike started. So look, I know this wasn't your favorite movie to win the Oscar in nineteen eighty eight, but I really like this movie. It had a very strong like I had a very strong emotional connection with this film. I think it was really well paced. I think it was really well written. And I think the ending actually was probably the strongest part of the of the movie even though it was like written in in at the last second so you just said that this might not be my favorite movie to win the oscar for best picture in 1988 and since it's the only one it has to be my favorite if i were to choose another out of the out of the nominations who would you have chosen to win um out of the nominations honestly i haven't seen any of the others now out of the movies that came out in 1988, I think there's an obvious winner for me. And that, of course... If you say Bloodsport, I swear to God. It's Bloodsport. Oh, my God. Yeah, I like the movie. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It's Like I said, it's definitely got a very 80s feel to it. But no, I, I really enjoyed it. Liked it the second time a little bit better. Um, it's got some great performances. And so uh, I am glad I watched it. Yeah. You know, Roger Ebert gave this movie a three and a half stars out of four. <laughs> What did he give Bloodsport? Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And I definitely finally watched Rain Man. Bloodsport. I wish it was Bloodsport. No, I don't wish it was Bloodsport because I love Bloodsport. Why would I finally want to watch? <sighs> anyway, I think we got it. <laughs>